Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the semi-regular podcast Analyzing Everton. I am David Hughes and I'm joined by my regular podcast partner, Mr. Josh Williams. Uh, Josh, are you well? I'm good, mate. Probably better than yourself. <laughs> yeah, um, for those who don't know, I, I haven't been too good. Um, yeah, we, we last did our show, I think it was two weeks ago. And we were going to do another show on the back of the Tottenham win, just because well, you know it was a really good win. But yeah, and I've um, I've been down and out. As some of you may know, I'll just be honest. I got I got caught by the COVID bug um, <laughs> at last. Um, I don't feel like it's as shameful as maybe it was in the early days because it looks like at some point we're all going to get it. So yeah, it was a bit of a write off last week, but uh, feeling a lot better now. Um, which gives us the opportunity to talk about talk about Everton and do a show. Um, you know, we will have a quick chat about that Tottenham game. It feels like a lifetime ago now, um, but it was it was a good win, so it's worth taking a look at. Then we'll we'll have a chat about West Brom. We'll talk about James Rodriguez, um, a few words on Calvert Lewin, and then we'll look ahead to to Palace as well on the weekend, which is a is it is it a battle of two top four teams, Josh? I haven't looked at the table, but I know it's maximum points from both sides, isn't it so far? Hundred percent, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's probably certainly in Palace's case a little bit surprising, but anyway, yeah, we'll do that. Um, I'm aware that there's League Cup fixtures in between. We're recording on the Wednesday, and there's a League Cup match tonight, but um it seems like a little bit early to be talking about that competition hopefully Everton will still be in in the later rounds and we can we can maybe focus a little bit more on it then um so we will start with a brief chat on Tottenham Josh did I know it feels like a, a long time ago now but did did you watch the game yeah caught the game yeah. yeah what did you think just generally yeah I was impressed yeah um Disappointed with Spurs, obviously. Mm-hmm. I, I, we previewed the match, didn't we? And I kind of, I mean, it, I, I think Sky actually got up a graphic on the day of, of Mourinho's history in the Premier League in the first match week. And I don't, he's never lost before. I think he's drawn once. Wow. And I think he's won nine. Um, so I, I expected, considering it was Jose's first full season with Spurs, I expected him to make a bit of a go at it. Um, added McDoherty, added Hoybier. Um So I expected a bit of a competitive match, but Everton just seemed superior from start to finish, f- from my perspective. It, it, both teams were on a different level. Mm. Um, Everton just seemed a lot better with and without the ball. Considering both managers took charge roughly at the same point, and both managers had, I think it's it's fair to say, fairly successful Windows in terms of the summer, Mourinho got a new right back in, new new centre mid, and she also got two new centre mids and obviously a bit, bit of a more creative player. 
So it was going to be interesting to see, obviously, which team is on a bit of a better trajectory, if you like. And I think coming away from the match, it it, it pretty much looks like Everton almost certainly are. I mean, they were um, they were pretty much in control from start to finish and fairly unfazed, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It felt like a really big win in terms of setting the, a platform for the good season. No, it, it kept that feel good factor around the club. Um, you know, obviously, Everton have won two games since the, then. Uh, they also got the monkey off the back in terms of winning our top six club in the opening weekend, which I personally felt was huge. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that we look at the numbers of the game? It looked like a game that could have gone either way based on based on chances. Um, if we focus on XG, Everton finished the game. I've, I've used Y Scout for this, Josh. I don't know if you've used a different provider. But, Gone with um, Everton 1.39 to Spurs 1.16. Everton had 14 shots, five of which were on target. Spurs had only nine, but also five shots on target. And the possession was pretty much down the middle for both. So, you know, based on chances alone, you could probably argue that it was a game that could have gone either way. But I have to caveat, caveat that and say I do agree that I thought Everton were the better side on the day. Um I thought they looked better in possession, looked better without the ball. I thought Spurs actually really struggled without the ball on the day. Um, you know, the, they didn't seem to be able to press with any sort of cohesion. Um, Everton just seemed to be so much better in terms of just the general construction going from one end of the pitch to the other. Um, and I do wonder if maybe that's that's to do with you know the formation change and just just kind of how quick the, the three new players. Um, had an impact on the side, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot, had a little look at different providers for the expected goals, and there is a fair bit of um, fair bit of difference. Like I think you just said there that were them numbers that you've just mentioned in favour of Spurs. No, Evan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, it's the other way around. And so, yeah, I think Statsborn have got a bit fairly similar than in terms of one point four for Everton yeah. and one for Spurs. Mm. Um, but I, I generally thought on the day that Everton were the better team. I remember, I remember one Spurs chance with Matt Doherty. Um, that felt like the only real major chance for me. It felt like from start to finish, really, I was an Everton were as well, kind of waiting for the for the onslaught, waiting for Spurs to step up. Um, but it never really happened. So it depends what you what you attribute that to, whether it's mm. you know the Spurs side or the Everton side, but it's probably a mixture of both. Yeah. Um, in terms of Ancelotti, obviously using the, the the new system sort of thing, I think it it definitely um, caught Mourinho off guard, hence hence Deli Alli getting removed at half-time. Yeah, I, um, I think it caught us off, off guard as well because I remember on the show before, we we weren't confident that we'd see all, all three, you know, maybe one or two, but it was obvious ambition from the manager. Um and the team just seemed to have a greater blend of, you know, defensive solidity, you know, presence through the middle and creative threat. Alan was screening the back four. Um, you know, Decore done really well, like covering on that right side. Um, I think it, it, it really suited Gomez being in that setup as well, having, you know, energy alongside him. And I thought he worked quite well in the general build up play. Um, you know, if, if he was in possession, it felt like, as is normally the case if it's on one side of the pitch, Spurs shuffled over to close down that flank. But Gomez a few times, you know, kind of switched the play over to 
uh, James Rodriguez. You know, that's then pulling Spurs back over to his side. And then, as we'll probably touch on in shortly, Rodriguez then has those the capabilities to do those um, switched passes out to, to the left wing uh, with, you know, Luca Dean pushing on. Um, and it, it just, it seemed like a really, it's almost like a zigzag in terms of build-up play, but it seems really difficult to to defend against. Um, and it just, as I said, there just seemed to be such a greater balance across the side um, with the new players in. I thought the way they kind of adapted to the game so quickly and seemed to know the role so quickly as well, it was um, it was impressive. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned that we had a... Ancelotti almost had no choice really before the match to, to throw these players in, considering mm. the complete lack of midfield Everton had last season. Um, and I, I definitely think they added they added that presence that we kind of we did touch upon. Um, I do think Mourinho will have expected a four four two. I don't think he'll have expected all three players to immediately start. He actually said after the match, uh, "This is a quote: uh, they were on, they were playing with only one pivot." Alan was in that position and Gomez and Decore were pressing high. Um, and obviously, as I said, Deli Ali was removed at half-time. And I think Mourinho's expectation before the match will have been, if Everton play a 4-4-2, Deli Ali plays as number 10. You can kind of feed them there between the lines. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the, the, the midfield three that Everton ends up going with, Alan can then follow Deli Ali around in the space in between the midfield and the defence. So of course spares a, a few problems. Yeah. Um and yeah, as you said, which we're obviously gonna to touch upon in, in a sec. I think James Rodriguez and specifically with Charleston and Lucas Dean on the opposite side just, just seem to benefit each other. Yeah, definitely. I thought what was quite interesting, just as a general point, and I I don't know if I can really add much analysis on this, was um just how flexible the formation seemed to be on the day. Because you know, certainly in the first half an hour, I wasn't, I'll be honest, I wasn't really sure what Everton were playing at times. Um, and But this isn't a criticism. It's more just, you know, kind of how, how fluid and dynamic they were. But sometimes it looked a bit like a 4-2-3-1, then a 4-1-4-1. You know, then it would kind of have a shape that looked a bit like a 4-4-2. Um, but it, I, I guess from a Tottenham point of view, it, it, it probably just made it really difficult for uh, for them to kind of pigeonhole what Everton were doing, um, yeah. I think that's that's that that helps by having you know versatile players like the core where you can influence and you know hide up the pitch, but also drop it in to defend well. Thought you know Rodriguez did his fair share of defensive work. Um, you know Gomez seemed to tuck in fairly well. Uh, we, we've already spoke about Alan, so yeah, it's just I thought I thought that was really interesting, just how fluid um, formation the formation was at times. Yeah, no, I think it was um, certainly a, a, a bit of a different formation without the ball as opposed to with the ball. I think with the ball, it was obviously 4-3-3 with Richarlison and Hammers closer to Calvert-Lewin, pushing forward a little bit. But then when possession was lost, I think Richarlison and Hammers would truck back in, almost form a midfield bank of five a, a little bit with Calvert-Lewin a bit further up. But obviously, if you, if you interpret Alan as deeper, then it becomes four one four one. So you know, there's all different yeah. kinds of formations you can play with there. Yeah, and I, I suppose that's just worth pointing as a general point. You know, for game football, such a fluid game, the formations are constantly evolving, adjusting anyway, aren't they? But it was, uh, I just, I guess, I was really impressed how how they 
they never looked really out of shape in this game, um, considering they hadn't really played that much together. But in all, it was a you know it was a really good win. Um, so we'll move on anyway. As I said, it was a little bit of a while. Unless you've got anything to add on that, Josh. Uh, no, just, no, just as you said there, that it was a, a really big win. It made me think of you mentioning how this could have been a bit of a momentum starter. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at West Brom, obviously, and if we're going to include, I think it was Salford, was it? Yeah, that was <laughs> that, it, that's yeah. obviously three wins in a row. So. Yeah, what was interesting, just quickly on that Salford game, was there was 10 changes in the side, and it was still a, a really commanding and dominant win. Now, obviously, you're playing League Two side, but you're playing the side who've you know got plenty of physical factor. They've got money behind them, and they they've got some decent players for that level. So it definitely had the potential to be a banana skin. But as I said when there's just such a physical factor around the club, um, it, you can kind of see performances like that in cup games as other players try and impose themselves. Um, but as I said, we won't focus too much on the cup games for now. We'll we'll move on to West Brom, which. Uh, again, Josh, I don't know what you thought, but from my opinion, it was a it was a really dominant win. Uh, obviously, aided by them going down to ten men, uh, but on the whole, yeah, it was you know a really dominant win. We, we look at just I'm using uh, Y Scout again just for these underlying numbers, but the XG was three point six three versus zero point four eight. Evan had fifteen shots, seven of which were on target. West Brom, six shots, just four on target. Um, I mean, that XG is really high when you consider there's, there's no penalties in that. Um, and just on that point, I had a quick look through Scouts data across the past five seasons, and that was the highest XG I've seen Everton record, according to them, um, which is interesting. And then, yeah, possession, as you'd expect, against 10 men, 71%. Uh, all in all, looked fairly dominant on paper, Josh. Yeah, I mean, stats one had them pretty much the same. 3.6 XG against 0.3. Um, mm. And I think what you mentioned there, possession, you know, posting over 70%. Obviously, with the caveats of facing 10 men, but I think in previous years, we've, we've saw Everton struggle with when they're allowed to, to just have the ball, when they're allowed to just dictate the match and the opposing team kind of presents the task of Okay, break us down. Um, but the, this Everton team obviously seems to be, as I've said, a lot more fluid, a lot more um, decisive in, in the final third because of some of the players that have been added. Obviously, three games, one of which was against lead two opposition, one of which suffered 10 men. But that's, um, that's nine goals so far in three games. So, yeah, it bodes well for Everton moving forward. As you mentioned there about high quality chances and all that sort of stuff. I think I think Calvert-Lewin on his own had four shots um, inside the six-yard box, not just a penalty box, the actual six-yard box. So, yeah, Everton creating um, clear-cut chances there. Yeah, that was a really good point you said there about issues breaking down because obviously I've talked about the XG they've recorded there. Uh, yeah, and okay, and, and it being you know the highest across the past five years. Um, and okay, it was against 10 men, but Everton would have put, come across you know, played against 10 men in that time as well. Um, I do agree sometimes when, whilst we don't know how good West Brom are going to be defensively, you know, they've already conceded a fair few goals. You've still got to go and break them down. And um, I said, Everton seems to do that with, with relative ease. I do think of a lot of, a lot of that being able to switch the play from side to side um, does, does, does really help in that regard. Before, you know, we go uh, 
we, we go about all how great Everton have been and how great we look. Now we like to keep it fairly objective, don't we? And I think there was a couple of negatives in the game. Uh, I thought West Brom started quite well and seemed to cut through Everton once or twice. Uh, and particularly, I thought the first goal was a was a really bad one to concede. Have you got any thoughts on it, Josh, and maybe who you think is to blame? It's a difficult one this because uh, it is. I'll be honest, there's a terrible goal to concede. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's quite a few errors in, in the move. Um, I think even initially when the ball lost, I think James loses the ball. He tries to lay it off to, I think it's Andre Gomez. Mm. There's a bit of a miscommunication there and the ball ends up falling to the feet of a West Brom player who just feeds Dean Garner. But Dean Garner's com- in, you know, completely wide open. Um, maybe Everton got caught with too many players ahead of the ball and then behind the ball, they seem to be only only the two centre-backs, really. Um, so Dean Garner just had you know, nobody within his immediate vicinity to to force him backwards or to maybe commit a tactical foul or whatever. So he's free to just carry the ball forward. Mm. Um, I can understand Mina jockeying him like he did, but part of me thinks maybe he let him get a bit too close before engaging. On the other side, part of me thinks that, you know, maybe do do you want the Ngana to shoot from that from that location, you know, it's outside the box. It's it's not the best location for, from Everton's perspective, but it could be worse. You know, it could be closer to goal. So mm. it's a difficult one. And then obviously you look at the goalkeeper. Um, I don't think he does enough to anticipate the shot. I think by the time the shot's actually taken, I think the ball reaches the penalty spot before Pickford's actually moved. I think he's, he's still flat-footed when the ball reaches the penalty spot. And as I said, he shoots from outside the box. So, you know, that's not that's not a good enough reaction, really. Yeah. So by the time he, he does move, it's too late. Mm. Um, it's just one of them, I think, where there's an accumulation of errors there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The, the thing is, from a Pickford point of view, for me, and you know that I am no Pickford excuse maker. Um, you know, I've had issues for, with him for a long time, and we've we talked about them on, on this show. Um I thought he looked shaky from the outset, actually, early on in the first couple of minutes. Uh, he tries to clear the ball and just, you know, I think it had snow on it when it come back down, just really high, not very far, and it nearly led to, a, you know, a, a danger. It actually did lead to a shot conceded. But, yeah, he looked a little bit off from the outset. But I do wonder whether, I've watched it a couple of times now, I wonder whether the sun's in his eyes a little bit, and he, that's why he sees it late. Uh as I said, I'm not an excuse maker for Pickford. Could be well off, but it's just if if it isn't something like that, then it's just a woeful goal to concede as a goalkeeper. I think because he is just slow, so slow to react. It doesn't feel like the shot is put in any position where it's really difficult to get to get over to. You know, it seemed kind of a decent height height for the keeper, not in the corner, and I don't think it was hit with any ferocity either. It was a well hit shot, but nothing special, in my opinion. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I was going to say then. I think I think I don't think Mina does enough to to move the ball away from his preferred foot as well. I think you know, considering how far the Angana travels with the ball. Oh, don't worry. I'm coming, should, for me. I'm coming for Mina. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mina should have got a grasp of of what his preferred foot is, and maybe shown t- towards his left. 
Um, having said that, I think when he does shoot, I do think he it, it's a bit of an unexpected shot. Really, I think he, he kind of um, what's the word? He, it, it's, it looks a bit underneath him, and mm-hmm. he, gets, he gets the shot away quite unexpectedly. Maybe that's one of the reasons why why Pickford it catches Pickford off guard a little bit. But yeah, it's one of them that kind of summed up the, the start of the match. I thought with Everton looking a little bit shaky, West yeah. but I'm not looking quite keen. Um, but unlike the past, unlike the past few seasons, Everton seems to overcome it. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, and we'll we'll touch on to that in a second. I'll just I'll just quickly say on me I do think if you look at where that he carries the ball th- from, it's in midway in his own half. And I don't mind Mina jockeying the, the attacker, but up until a point. And I think he, it, it, you know, when you get into the edge of your own penalty area, you, you've let him go too far. Simply he's gone too far. It wasn't as if Mina was the last man either. The, he, he did have support with him. It may have only been keen, um, but there's still support there. I just think if he does knock it past you, then you take the take the tactical foul and yellow card. I don't think you ever let the player carry it that distance unopposed. Um, and then he also does a thing where he kind of moves out the way of the shot. Like, I don't know if maybe he doesn't want to put a deflection on it, but I don't know. I feel like you've always just got to try and get the block in. Um, and he also did this thing where in, on the second goal, which was a really great free kick, but he doesn't jump in the wall. And I don't know. For me, you, you see a defender as a player who kind of throws anything that they can at a shot and to kind of just let it plop over your head without jumping in the wall I can understand if you're trying to block against a low shot but it's clear as soon as he's hit it that's going high you know jump and he doesn't and obviously ends up going in so just kind yeah, of think, strange characteristics for a central defender yeah I think consider, considering the size of him obviously he's a big lad I think mm. he he should be doing more to make himself be a better obstacle, basically. Yeah. I think he's, he's not enough of an obstacle for the size. Obviously, you should be a key man on the wall when you're jockeying a player, and you, you should be you should be doing enough, really, to, to be blocking a shot in that scenario. Mm. Um, and it, it didn't happen. So, as I said earlier, just it felt like a bit of an accumulation of a number of errors, even to the extent that we, of where the ball was lost, how many players were ahead of, ahead of the ball at the time, the misunderstanding between Gomez and Hammers. Just one of them, really. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, but you just made a really good point that uh, obviously the 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 bounce back. And I must say, at at no point was I really panicked. You know, even when they conceded first, I thought there's plenty of time left with this with this Evans side. And when it went two all as well, I did kind of believe the. It just felt like it was a good ta- character uh, test, and sometimes those games are quite important, aren't they? Um, you know, to come back from going a goal behind and to, you know, kind of have this adversity in the game and come through it. I think it sets you up to be a to be a good side uh, in the season. And I think that's what Everton lost a lot. Um, so Everton didn't have, sorry, under previous managers. You know, if it, you're not going to do very much across a campaign if, if conceding the first goal is basically a, um, a guaranteed, what's the term I'm looking for? Lack of win, I guess. Guaranteed um, defeat, yeah. Yeah, um, well, it felt like it. Wasn't there um, a stat under Silver where, where, whereby, you know, Everton went behind so many times and f- 
fail to win or fail to get a point or, or something like that. Yeah, it was basically his whole tenure in charge. Everton didn't um, come back to win a game where they conceded first. And when you think about it, it's not as if it was, you know, if they were losing at half time, it's just conceding first. So you could have conceded in the first five minutes of the game. You've got 85 minutes to, you know, compose yourself and, and kind of construct a, a comeback. And they just never did it. Um, that for me is just pure psychology. And now Ancelotti's coming, I think that was the second time already that they've done it. They did it at uh, Watford last season where they were two down and came back and won 3-2 with 10 men. And then obviously done it again on, on Saturday. Um, and maybe it just shows the different mindset in the players with, with Ancelotti there now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've touched on, you know, the creating of a, creating high quality chances, uh, being able to bypass 10 men. I thought it was, it was really good to see. And it, Everton kind of looked like they're going to be a really creative and attacking team over this, over just, this campaign. Just, just on that actually, um, in terms of the attack clearly being a little bit better than before, obviously again, 45 minutes were against 10 men. But Everton have started this season so far with 15 shots against Spurs, 14 shots against West Brom. Um, last season, they started both matches with 10 shots and 10 shots. So already they kind of, you could say, nine shots have been added there over the course of two matches in comparison to last season. Um, and I think that stems from probably the addition of James Rodriguez in the attack, who we're going to get on to, um, and what, what 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 those players are adding, really. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But let's get on to it now because you know it's a really good point, and um, I have to say, you know, I, I, everyone was looking forward to everyone was looking forward to him coming in. But I think there was a lot more of excitement around the name, which still maybe one or two question marks about how good he would be. Then, like, there's no, no no denying that we know he's an elite player, but it was just you know that kind of hit and miss period over these last few years where he hasn't been on the pitch as much as he would like and there is some there was some grey clouds, you know, some concerns whether he'd be able to hit the ground running straight away. And I mean the reality is Josh has been what sensational so far, hasn't he? Am I being too strong with that term? No, I think he's I think he's shown his quality. I think that's what that's the difference. He's he's shown the um the stardust really. That, that, that a player needs to have to play for Real Madrid, to play for Bayern Munich and teams like this. And although although these players might reach a point in their careers whereby they they stop starting as a regular, they stop getting as many minutes, they maybe suffer from a few injuries, you can just still tell when, when he takes the field, you can just see the reasons why they they reached that level as me as like a twenty two year old or whatever it was when he moved from I think it was Porto or Monaco. 
Um, yeah. He's just a quality player. He's just, he's just got that about him. Um, I think he's one thing I've picked up on. Um, I don't want to give too much away actually because I'm, I'm writing a piece on him right now for uh, for the Echo. I think that's coming out either today, this is the Wednesday, or tomorrow, which is the Thursday. Um, so I'm trying to keep a few of the nuggets that I've got. <laughs> piece, to be honest, give us the um, nuggets, mate, and you can uh, people can then read the piece in more detail. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, th- I think one thing I picked up on though is um, how I think I spoke in the past. I remember speaking last season. Last season, people listening to this show will know that I, I was not the biggest fan of Everton's squad. I, I, I just didn't like it. I didn't like how so many players in the, in the team failed to complement one another in terms of their natural skills. So, and I, I used the example, I recall using the example of Leicester. And I think, you know, if you, if you think of these players now, so you, you've got Wilfred and Ndidi as the holding six for Leicester, suited to primarily defensive work, but on the ball he doesn't really offer a great deal. Um, he's obviously a bit of a sweeper, able to cover lots of ground. And Rodgers was playing with Madison and Tielemans ahead of him, both of whom aren't that defensively active but can pass the ball. And they like to drift into the spaces, the number 10 spaces. And then ahead of them, you had Jamie Vardy, who was, going, who was creating those 10 spaces for those two players by running them behind. Obviously, he's a quick player who play, likes to um, get on the end of three balls and stuff. So you had kind of three little layers there for Leicester, midfield and attack, um, that just naturally complemented one another without really tactics playing much of a part almost. Um, and I think Everton haven't really had that. They've had a, a mixed bag of players, all of whom almost clash. But I think simply by adding Hamas Rosigas, he's he's just naturally helping the team. Like obviously you've got Calvert Lewin and Richarlison both inclined to dart and behind. That creates space for Hamas Rosigas to cut inside and kind of be that Coutinho type player that you mentioned last week, often operating in the inside spaces. And obviously a switch is a play. Allow whoever gets on the ball, whether it's Dinier or whether it's Richarlison. They both like to get forward. It allows those two to to basically overload their opposing fullback. Yeah. Um. So it's it's just naturally helping Everton to attack the addition of of Hamas. Mm. Um. And it's 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 good to see, really, considering it's it's not really been present at Everton for for a while. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 spot on. Now it, it kind of feels like the the actual playmaker that they've lacked for you know for so many years now that. The kind of play, the reason why Sigurdsson gets so much grief because he's not that person. Where it feels like, feels like, although he's technically playing as a as a right side attacker, he's basically a wide number ten in many ways, isn't he? In terms of what his, his profile is, um, but it just on that point, which I think is really good about him complementing others around him. Um, you know, for me, I think Luca Dean is is probably Everton's best player in terms of construct and play so I'm talking about everything that gets them to, into the final third um, but too many times since he's been here it's been too one dimensional with him where it's it's kind of been a case of like you know midfielders in possession put it out left and somehow Dean linking with someone else or driving with the ball gets the ball into the final third if he can and then cross it into the box and I think it was just 
as I said, it was just too predictable. It was too easy to defend against. And every, I think any opposition analysis in the Premier League or analysis in the Premier League would have looked and said to, you know, whoever the team they're representing, this is how they like to build up play. He's our threat. You know, let's, let's cut out balls going down those flanks and let's, um, basically stop him hit, being able to progress through the lines. But feel now with, with Hamez, you know, he, he now picks up the ball in that right side position and he attracts so much attention on that side that he, he pulls players over and he has the ability uh, to execute fantastic switched balls, which I feel like we've seen so many times already over to Luca Dean, who's then, um, you know, one of Everton's biggest threats in terms of crosses in the box. And it's just, it's just completely like, Evolved the way Everton constructing and the way Everton are building attacks, doing that, um, and he's he's the main reason why. And you know, I when when I was trying to think of an equivalent, I thought probably the best example of the point I'm trying to make is when you think of Robertson and Alexander Arnold for Liverpool, where if one of them's building down one flank, and you know to get maybe getting crowded out or they've pulled a lot of players over, they'll then do a big switch to the other side of the pitch. Uh, which you'll know, Josh, because you would have seen it a million times, and it's a really effective way of attacking, basically, isn't it? Yeah, for for me, it's 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 one of the most effective ways of attacking. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, you can gain gain those overloads and stuff like that, and you can gain if it's not an overload, you can gain maybe a one v one. And if you get Richarlison up against most fullbacks, you're probably beating them in a one v one if if the fullback's not getting supported. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think his additions offered like. A lot of balance, really, quite a bit of symmetry. Because um, one of the one of the nuggets from the piece that I'm going to give you now for free <laughs> is uh, well <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, last season uh, the, the the player to play the most switches for Everton was was Lucas Dean. Um, now you're getting the switches also from the right side of the pitch. So you know you've got you've got the the opportunity there to go from right to left to left to right. That sort of thing, which which yeah. Everton maybe didn't have last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because I think as well, if you switch into the left, that's where your you, your most danger is in terms of um, you know, top quality balls into the penalty area, or you know, unleashing your most dangerous players. Well, on the right, if you got you've got you know Walcott, for example, who's for me decent but unremarkable to pull it to pull it mildly. Um, so now you're kind of you kind of bringing in that other side of the pitch where you've got your most dangerous players. Um, but yeah, you know, let's let's just briefly talk, touch on some numbers then for for Hammers. Um, now he's played played two games, didn't play a full nineteen either, but um, he's already already registered ten uh, shot creating actions um, in it across those two games, which. You know, for for anyone who doesn't know, that's basically you know two offensive actions directly leading to a shot. So it could be a pass, dribble, or drawing a foul. Um, you know, with averaging that out, Josh, it'd be just over five per ninety, wouldn't it? Which, I mean, if you could keep that up all season, it'd be pretty impressive. Um, you know, six arrived in open play. Uh, he's played a hand in two goals. One was a direct assist, and the other one was the. Um, I think it was that stunning chip that he put in for Richarlison um, for Calvert-Lewin's goal on Saturday. 
where I, I know you would have, you would have saw it, wouldn't you, Joshua? It was like a, a lob pass for Richardson to to run onto and then put it across the goal line for Calvert Lewin to to obviously just just tap it in. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I actually have a little bit of a controversial take on that, mate. <laughs> oh, don't be trying to take anything away from me. Uh, from here. It, while I'm talking now, get get wife goes up and right. have a look at the pass because I looked at it yesterday. Obviously, I'm writing the books up at the minute, so I, I looked at it yesterday to um to to visualise it. Obviously, to, to use it as a bit of a bit of a graphic. Yeah. Um, and I actually think he he intends to to find Lucas Dean, um, as opposed to. Richarlison, who he, who he ends up finding, because when he receives the ball, he immediately looks left, and I think he sees Dinier darting towards the the, the goalpost, basically, you know, that diagonal run. And he, he plays the pass. I think he might see Richarlison starting to move in his peripheral vision, maybe. Um, and it might be intentional. Maybe he's just thinking, I'll put it into an area, and one of the two will get onto it. But it looks to me like he, he recognises Dinier's run. And that forces him to make the action. Um, but regardless, it's obviously, obviously an incredible pass, you know, to keep to the door type pass whereby he's he's just, you know, against the low block sort of thing and he's he's, he's found the space, he's found an opening. Single-handedly, he's also in the goal, really. Um, just, to, just to let our listeners know, I wholeheartedly disagree, but respect Josh's opinion. But yeah. Have you checked, have you checked the clip? <laughs> yeah, I'm watching it now. I just, I just think... I see the point you're making. Uh, you that see you him see... Look directly at Dini. Yeah, but he also, to me, looks like he's looking at uh, Richarlison as well. Um, it, it looks to... It, okay, it, I, I see what you're saying. For me, it could be a case of putting it in that kind of... Um, the area. Danger zone, yeah. Because there's, if, if you yeah, look at Richarlison yeah. and Dean, they're both making almost the same run, aren't they? Um, and I think he, he executes it brilliantly. So I see what you're saying. It it may have been intended for Dean, but I think it, it it's still just, I'll put it in that kind of sweet spot where it's really difficult to defend against. Um, it's kind of penetrative, penetrative in terms of, you know, breaking through this this low block sitting on the edge of the box. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm unsold on, on on that one, Josh. I'm I'm going to give him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. I'm, I'm uh, looking back at it now. Um, come on, what did honest, have a, are you looking again now? Come on, I'm looking again now. It's, to be honest, he he deserves the benefit of the doubt because it, it is an incredible pass. But mm. both players are making really really similar runs, but maybe separated by about six to ten yards or so. And I do think he just thinks I'll put it into an area, but I, I just. When I look back at it, I just thought his first sight when he turns with the ball, it looks like it's it's Dean. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's it's a tricky one. That I'm not going to go wholehearted into it and say no. He's it's a fluke. Nothing like that. But yeah, I think it's one of them where he's just thought I'm I'm targeting an area as opposed to a player. But I'm, you know, it's, it remains to be seen. Regardless, though, it's it's a it's a great pass and it sums him up really in terms of the the high-risk, low, low percentage passes that he's willing to try as that playmaker type um, that Everton previously haven't really had. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, just, you know, a couple more things before we move on. It's 
it's interesting to note that he's got the uh, the highest progressive distance towards the opposition's goal of of any midfielder so far in terms of passes made. Um, and he had a quick look last night. And if you, if you broke a bit of mind, everyone, it is only two games. You know, it's it's a, such a small sample size, but it's just about really trying to work out the potential. If you break down his progressive yards in those passes, and um. And then have a look at it in terms of you know passes completed per ninety as well. He, I've actually shared. It's probably easier if people go onto my Twitter at da hughes underscore, and you'll you'll be able to see where he ranks against Evans midfielders last season. Um, and you know he's he's way out. The closest person to him is is, is Fabian Delft, but you know he's he's miles ahead of Davis and Sigurdsson. Um, you're basically getting a player who's attempting plenty of passes and you know penetrating passes at that. Uh, which is something I think Evans midfield massively missed um, last season. Yeah, uh, just just one thing as well. I'd like to add. I, I tweeted this during the Spurs game, um, but obviously Everton took fifteen shots against Spurs, and Hammers was actually responsible for eight of them. Wow. Um, that that's that's including the shots he took himself and the shots that he assisted during the game, the shots that he generated for his teammates. So, you know that that's that was over. 50% of Everton's shots against Spurs came through Hammers, really, which I think sums up, you know, his influence. Just just on this then, Josh, I talk about pulling figures out of the air, but do you think this is a, if he's fit, he's, he could be like a, that term that we've used before, but a transformational signing for Everton in terms of how many goals he could add across the course of a campaign? And I don't mean just him scoring or assisting. I just mean in terms of, you know, contribution, goal contributions. So if we talk about, you know, those shot creating actions. We, we, we get that data from FB ref who used stats bomb and they use two offensive actions leading up to a shot. You know, if you, in, on that basis, how many goals do you think he could add? Because I, I, I think it could be easily, you know, 10, 15 over the campaign. No, yeah, I think it's going to be a fair bit, to be honest. Last week, before the season started, when you asked me where could Everton finish, I said I'd be very surprised if they finished above eighth. The reason I said that was because usually goal difference is a good insight into the level of the team in comparison to the competitors in the league. Yeah. And Everton finished last season with a goal difference of minus 12. Arsenal finished eighth in the league with a goal difference of plus eight. So... You're looking about a 20 goal difference there between Arsenal and Everton, considering attack and defence. Mm. Um, and looking at Hamish's early start, you've got to, how many points, how many, you know, what's Hamish worth on your goal difference? It's looking like he's going to be worth quite a lot, to be honest. He, he could be worth, to be honest, as much as Everton's minus 12. So on his own, he could get Everton to zero, you know. Yeah. So he can he can get Everton back on a um, level part if you like, and then it's up to maybe the contributions of Decore, Allen, Calvert Lewin better than last season, with Charleston better than last season to push Everton towards you know a goal difference of maybe plus ten or so. Wolves finished seventh last season on plus eleven, Spurs finished sixth on plus fourteen, and then you've got a bit of a jump then to Leicester on plus twenty six in fifth place. But that that's what Everton needs to start getting towards and looking at Ham as a start. Yeah, he could be he could be worth enough to get Everton back to a neutral level to then push on to to get into the plus plus side. Yeah. 
Yeah, spot on. Well, uh, on the subject of goals, we'll we'll, we'll touch on Calvert Lewin, eh? Because he's uh, he's got four already, which is uh, quite impressive for two league games, four league goals. Is he a is he a player that's maybe benefiting from having better build up play behind him? You know, because I don't know, just the benefits of more kind of cohesive and balanced Everton side is that Calvert Lewin can focus more on just being a goal-chasing centre-forward. You can stay in, in the penalty area, you know, ready to attack balls delivered to him by the likes of Rodriguez. We know how good he is in the air. Uh, he's getting better on the ground as well. Whereas for me, in contrast, last season, perhaps as a consequence of Everton's kind of inability to to construct, you know, kind of well, good rhythm of of play. I want of a better term. I can't think of one. More coherent, shall I say. Um, you know, we was relied upon a lot more to, to come short or to, to chase long balls, fired into the channels. And I just wonder whether being able to just be a, a striker, Josh, it's, it's, it's going to benefit him long term. Yeah. I mean, whenever in the past I've been asked to, right about to strike and, and why he's maybe not doing it or whatever. My first thought is always, well, what's the service like? Mm. Um, and I think Calvert-Lewin has been denied service really f- f- for, the, for the best part of best part of his Everton career, really. Um, I think he's had good service from Lucas Dean considering his crosses into the box and how that's going to benefit Calvert-Lewin's heading. But other than that, he hasn't really had much. I think now he's getting a bit of a boost and um, I think it, it could have almost been a bit of a perfect storm for Everton and Calvert-Lewin, considering, obviously, in the past, Everton haven't had much on the attacking side to supply him with. So he's had to do a lot more all-round play, where he's kind of chasing the ball, where he's holding the ball up, bringing others into play, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Now, maybe that's less needed. But Calvert-Lewin has that to his game now. So maybe all this is is going to result in Cavalier becoming quite a complete all-round forward, um, who now starts to put the ball in the back of the net quite frequently. Like I don't know, but a player that comes to mind quite frequently with Cavalier is, is Harry Kane, simply because of the the, the breakout that Harry Kane had um, out of nowhere, really, and he seemed to quite. But but Harry Kane did it the other way around, really, where he offered he offered goals and gradually became a bit more complete. Calvert-Lewin already seems quite complete but he's got to have the goals and I just feel like it's a, it's a matter of time before that happens and it might even be happening right now Yeah, I agree um, for me he he was the type of player that even when he wasn't scoring you wanted him on the pitch You know, people give, kind of give him stick especially when he went through Byron spells but I think they missed what he offered certainly in that side who didn't Look after the ball very well. You know, we're into dominant side, kind of relying on on, on uh, creating attacks on the break. You know, he he was important in terms of winning aerial duels, doing lots of running, lots of pressing, and he has kind of got that 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 side of his game fine tuned now. But it is about the goals, um, and people kind of perceive him as a bit of a poor finisher. But I had a quick look earlier, and across the previous three seasons um, so not including this so far because we're only two games in he scored 23 goals off an next year of around 24 um, so on that basis alone you're saying he's a he's an average finisher you know he tends to score the chances he should 
Now we had an XG roughly, I think it was about 14 last year. Um, I scored around that as well. So if if Everton can create more chances for them, then naturally we should see a better goal return for him this season, which is good. You know, you basically if, if you provide them, the, like with any strike, I suppose, but specifically with Carlo Lewin here, if Everton provide him chances on a regular basis each week, he's going to convert more often than not. Obviously, if he can get a little bit sharper in front of goal and start converting at a higher rate, like the you know the real elite players, you know, like you talk about Kane there, Kane does that every year, Bamiang, Mohamed Salah, those type of players. If you can start finding that kind of ruthless edge in front of goal, then you could easily be looking at a striker who will score twenty plus goals every season. Yeah, for me, he's, he's comfortably a, a twenty goal striker, even though he's not even he hasn't actually done it yet. Last season he got thirteen, but obviously as I said, the, the service wasn't great. Um, they done the performance goals last season, but I think overall, I think his, his issue has really been he hasn't been greedy enough. He hasn't shot enough really. Um, I think last season he ended on, according to understat, two point nine shots per ninety. This season, obviously, we're two games in. You know, the sample size is tiny, but he's he's averaging four point four shots per ninety, which is, you know, he he won't keep that up. But if he keeps up and close to that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a fair amount of shots and generally the more you shoot, the more you score. So Yeah. Maybe he'll just be a player who, who does need maybe he'll never be the elite striker who only needs one chance to score. You know, like it feels like you can put Vardy in that bracket, can't you? Like he's always dangerous and he only needs one or two shots. Um maybe he'll be more like a, a Salah who who does well in terms of just a really high quantity of everything. And as a, as a result, he you know he, he has a really high return in terms of goals and things. So we'll have to wait and see. But ceiling looks really high, um, and it's been a really good start for him. Hopefully, it continues. We'll um, just before we round up, we'll briefly touch on Palace, just because. Um, well, you know, it, it, it looks like it could be a difficult game. They started really well from a results point of view, but you wouldn't say it's been a particularly dominant um, two games so far. You know, they lost the XG and were outshot against Southampton at home. They outshot United and won the XG, but obviously the penalty would have contributed to that. Um, but it's, it's one of them where I don't want to be too dismissive of them, but I think maybe, you know, they're not going to be able to maintain the results they've been getting. Yeah, to be honest, I, I think this is actually going to be quite a big test for Everton. Um, mm. I think Palace, to, to get a good result against Palace, specifically the Palace that is in the mood, and right now they seem to be, you have to combine, you have to combine the ability to attack with combining the ability to um, defend counter attacks at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's that's quite a difficult balance to strike. Um, Palace counter attack at pace with. Would would four players at a time really if 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 the performance against Manchester United is anything to go by, and you know Wilfred Zaha, Jordan Ayew, Andros Townsend, and Jeffrey Schlupp, four players there who are all quick, all able to cope in isolation without support from the teammates. You know if they close down, he can beat you. Good on that dribble, um, and I, th- I think when you when you're facing a team like this, it it, it, it is a, a quite a, an acid test really as to where you're going to be. Um, 
I'm obviously a Liverpool fan. We only started to we only seem to start really pushing on to a new level when we started dealing with Palace for years. We struggled against them, and they're still very much in that same mould in terms of being difficult to break down, while also being really good, despite getting outshot and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, against United, they never really looked in trouble at all. If you look at United's shot map, it's it's awful. I think United had seventeen shots. I think ten of them were outside the box. Um, and I think against Crystal Palace, uh, sorry, against against Southampton, um, again the shot map for that. Got, I think they had one decent shot, Jay Adams volley, which was a good save. Um, other than that, he was a Danny Ings head on the ninety fourth minute, but he was he was very little. Other than that, so I think Palace are a really tough test to be honest, and I think they've recruited well with um, yeah, getting Batshuayi on loan, getting Eze for. I think it's 16 million, which is an absolute bargain. Yes, he's, only, he's only starting on the bench at the minute, but he's a real player. And Nathan Ferguson on, uh, for free, I think. And um, I still think they're on a lockout for doing business, like, getting linked with me and Bluestone players like that. So mm. I think I actually think it's quite promising for Palace at the minute. I think this is going to be a tough match. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I basically flagged there that there's obviously a sad, happy set deep. Um, and it hits on the counter. It looks like it's a game that's going to be won or lost in the transitions, isn't it? And, you know, you've just actually just touched on what I was going to say there, just about the fact that um, the, the speed in which they break out is a concern. And obviously the emphasis is going to be on Everton to go and attack them. But they need to, as you said, defend against these in the transitions and know where they need to be and basically try and try and squash these counter-attacks when they happen. Um we touched on the danger men's there, you know, you've Zaha's the one who seems to be just in really good form at the moment. Uh, I felt like a, a lot goes through them, but they've got da- dangers elsewhere on the pitch. And if the open exchanges were w- with West Brom or anything to go by, then, it, it, you know, it could be tricky. Um, I, that being said, I do, I do back Everton because I think, you know, Palace aren't really expecting to be in the position that they are, albeit only two games in. And I feel like the Palace will feel slightly the, the more inferior side. And I don't know, I could get my eye wiped completely saying all this, but I just think the way things are going for Everton at the moment, it's a game that you could potentially go and win. It would be a real statement of intent. And um, yeah, it's just, I guess, I guess I'm aware of the risks, but I do. I do fancy Everton for this one. I, th- I think for me, this is this is a perfect game, really, where you put the spotlight on on Hamas Rodriguez because yeah. Pal- Palace are one of the few teams in in the Premier League that can actually sit in the low block, really close to their own goalkeeper, but still retain an attacking threat because of the the pace that they've got in wide areas and. The, you know, the two up front who were, who were able to carry the ball over large distances. So Palace can, can defend and allow very little space close to goal, but still counter-attack really, really well. I think Newcastle are one of the only other teams who can do it because of the likes of, you know, Almer on St. Maximum, the really quick players who are good on the dribble. Um, so when you're defending against the low block like that, you need to find a key to the door. You need to think outside the box. You need to be unpredictable. And... James has been that so far. Obviously, you yeah. think of some of the passes he's made. You think of his ability to operate in space and 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 that the key passes he makes and all that sort of stuff. So, 
I think if Everton can get hammers on the ball and if he can be really sharp, I think Everton will have enough. But if Hammers has an off day or if Hodgson caters for Hammers and really closes him down whenever he's in possession or whatever, um, I think Everton might struggle to find an opening without without him. Um, so it's going to be an interesting game, I think. Go on, who are you backing, Josh? If you... If you, uh, if you if you if you put you on the uh, put you on the spot, um, that's a tough one. You know, I've been impressed with both teams so far. Really impressed with both teams, genuinely. Um, if Hammers is is allowed to play his game, I think Everton two one win. If Hammers isn't allowed to play his game, um, I'm gonna go one all. Oof, I'm a. Uh... I'm gonna go with the. I'm gonna go with there. Uh, I'm gonna go with the three-one actually. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like it's just, yeah. I just think there's there's goals in Everton at the moment, but I'm also not too sure about the the clean sheet. Um, but we'll have to wrap it up there because time's getting away from us. Um, really good to be back. Uh, thank you very much, Josh, for your time. Good morning, mate. Uh, and we'll we will be back at some point, as I've said a few times. We we're not sure how regular we're going to do the show just yet. But that being said, again, thanks to everyone who reached out to the pair of us. You know, after the last one, it does mean a lot. I must say. Um, and yeah, we'll 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 see how we get on this weekend. Hopefully, we we'll have a win through the week in the cup, um, and then we'll we'll hopefully have three points. Th- Sorry, three wins from three at the back end of this weekend and still uh, and still touching top spots in the Premier League. But yeah, take care, everyone, and, and have a have a good week. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.